Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verses 8 to 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, in the book, uh, The Screwtape Letters, uh, author C.S. Lewis, he, he describes the fictitious exchanges uh, between a demon named Screwtape and in, in how he is mentoring his nephew, Wormwood. Screw, Screwtape is writing letters to help his nephew understand how to be victorious in winning the individual he is assigned, in winning him to his master, or at least to significantly decrease the impact of his Christian conversion. And so Screwtape suggests using strategies that involve his friendships, his relationships with his family, his pursuit of career ambitions, how to engage thoughts about war, and the list goes on. And interestingly enough... One of, the screw tape, one of the strategies screw, screw Tape encourages Wormwood to use to win him to the enemy or to win him to, to Satan is to use Christian religion. Here, here's a quote. Talk to him about moderation in all things. If you can once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all very well up to a point you can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderated religion is as good for us, so as good for the enemy, as no religion at all, and more amusing. So, so Lewis is articulating how there are ways religion actually distracts Christians from Christianity. There are ways engaging religion deadens the joy of a Christian. And distracts a Christian from the beauty of the gospel and draws us in to focus on things other than Christ and his 
work on our behalf. So this morning, we're continuing a series in the book of Galatians. And for those less familiar with me, my name is Paul Gardner, and I serve as one of the pastors here. Welcome to First City Church uh, this morning. We're glad you're here. If you've been present with us for this series, you know what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's confronting Christian converts who are embracing what he has identified as a false gospel. This false gospel is drawing them to focus on things other than Christ. You see, they're very religious, but they are not very Christian. The Galatians no longer trusted and rested in God's work on their behalf. And instead, they believed that God's work for them was insufficient. They needed to do more in the form of religious works in order to be worthy of God's favor and to achieve right standing with God and to deserve his forgiveness and salvation. So up up till now in the book, the first three chapters and the beginning of chapter four, the Apostle Paul's arguments have been a little more theological in nature. He's used a number of strategies to attack this false gospel, talking about his personal testimony. He's untangled how the Galatians lacked understanding about Old Testament scripture. He clarified the true purpose of God's law, and he has labored to help them see how they've been made sons. This is who they are according to, what, according to the nature of God's grace. So in the passage read this morning, the Apostle Paul takes a little different angle. He demonstrates more of a pastoral burden, emphasizing how embracing this false gospel is more than simply misunderstanding Scripture and misapplying God's law. It is actually embracing a false form of worship. It is a rejection of who we are in Christ. When we leave, when we live this way, we return to being enslaved. And so he is, he is pleading with them, he is burdened for them, he is concerned about the behavior of brothers and sisters in Christ to the point that he says he is perplexed and that he is afraid. So our, our big idea this morning is embracing ritualistic religion is a false form of worship. Now before I, I move on, I want to clarify this term ritualistic religion. Sometimes people in the church will say the gospel of Jesus Christ, well, it's about a relationship, and so it's opposed to religion. Well, uh, we need to be careful with that type of language. Jesus certainly teaches Christians that it's important to understand Scripture, as Pastor Chris prayed earlier. He, Jesus taught about the practice of prayer. He taught about the practice of fasting. He, he taught about practices that engage holiness and how how to pursue righteousness. So we cannot say the gospel of Jesus Christ is opposed to religious practice. However, there is a way the gospel of Jesus Christ is opposed to pursuing religious practices separate from their purpose in the gospel. Pursuing them, pursuing those religious practices to attain righteousness or to attain right standing with God. So for lack of a better term, I'm using the term ritualistic religion to capture that type of disposition this morning. 
So our big idea is saying when people trust in ritualistic religion, when they trust in religious behavior to make them right with God, they are no longer trusting in Christ. They are trusting in a false form of worship. So there is some way Christians engage in religious practice. Or maybe it is better said this way. There is a way all Christians can be guilty of engaging religious practice that is actually a rejection of Christianity. When might you be doing that? Paul will help us clarify the answer to that question this morning. So to help explain this big idea, we're going to make three observations that are rooted in this passage. The first, we'll talk about the problem with ritualistic religion. As we said, engaging religious practice is certainly not wrong in and of itself. So what was, what's the nature of the problem with how the Galatians are engaging religious practice? How, how can we take something like Bible reading or fasting or praying or meeting with our gospel community or even attending church on Sunday morning, and how can that become a false form of worship? Two, we'll talk about the practice of ritualistic religion. So we'll make some observations about how ministry practices associated with ritualistic religion are different from ministry practices rooted in the gospel. And three, we'll talk about the solution to ritualistic religion. If this is a problem, what is the solution? So let's first talk about the problem with ritualistic religion. If you have your Bible with you or you have a Bible app that you follow along on your phone, uh, open it up to Galatians chapter 4. If you don't have something that you're following along, we do have Bibles uh, on that table as you enter and exit the auditorium and we invite you to grab one. If you want to take it home, we welcome you to do that. Let's jump in to Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, When you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So Paul is reminding the Galatians before they came to know the gospel, before they were converted to the Christian faith, there was a way they were living. They had a former way of life. They were worshiping in a way that was exalting false gods. The language Paul uses here is they were enslaved to those that are not gods. Now Paul does not specifically identify what they were enslaved to. But understanding the cultural context, we can assume they were worshiping idols or false deities at the temple. Such false gods were pursued to gain favor for for things like a fruitful harvest, pleasure in sex, or or they were were worshiped to pursue pursue power and status. This is what their hearts worshiped. But then conversion happened, and they experienced transformation. Many of you can identify that before conversion, you were enslaved to those that are not gods. Now, you didn't worship false deities at the temple, but there were things you worshipped. Maybe your heart was enslaved to the pursuit of material pleasure. 
You worked and you worked and you worked. You thought about how to get more money, how to get more things, how, how to get more success. And you bowed down to whatever actions or whatever people or whatever entity would give you achievement towards such a goal. Or maybe you were enslaved to sexual pleasure. Or maybe you were enslaved to something ugly like gambling. Or, or, or maybe you were enslaved to something more productive like busyness. Or maybe you were enslaved to a coping strategy you developed because of a chaotic household. And you were, you were enslaved to something like you had to have control. You look back. You know there was something you were enslaved to. But then you experienced transformation. You stopped worshiping the idols that captivated your heart. You rejected the false gods of your former way of life. So in verse 9, Paul describes how the Galatians came to believe the good news of the gospel. But then something happened. He says they turned back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world. Now, Paul is not saying the Galatians went back to worship gods of the temple. What, what he is saying is their engagement of ritualistic religion, how they engaged religious practices in some ways was the same thing as how they worshiped false gods when they were not Christian. Ritualistic Religion and pagan worship are both forms of false worship. They both involve exalting the weak and elementary principles of this world. Now, what what are those? So scholars, historians, they they tell us the elementary principles Paul is referring to are, are earth, wind, fire, and water, the elements that made up the material, visible world. And so it was a common belief that spiritual forces or gods worked through these elements to control people's lives and future course. So Paul is saying there is a way that people are engaging religious practices that is turning back to the worship of false gods. Now, for those familiar with Scripture, you know that any time Scripture is mentioning a worship of false gods or false deities or idols— There's something demonic in nature taking place. So Paul is saying there is a way that many engage religious practice that is demonic in nature. This is the problem with ritualistic religion. So how how do individuals engage religious practices in ways that could be demonic? So for the Galatians, Paul seems to be saying one of the things they were doing is rooting their righteousness in observing religious seasons of the Jewish faith, practicing the Sabbath each week, practicing new moon festivals each month, practicing the Jewish feasts in particular seasons, practicing Sabbath years and the year of Jubilee as the years went by. They believed embracing such practices made them worthy of God's favor. So Paul is saying, embracing a view that that engaging such practices makes us worthy of God's favor, it is false worship, and it is demonic in nature. Now, let's provide a point of clarity for a moment. 
Right? Someone, someone could, actually Christians have done this through the centuries. They've said, what Paul here is doing here is abolishing the observance of particular days. He's abolishing celebrating things in the church. He's abolishing the practice of things like celebrating Christmas and Easter. Okay, Paul's not saying we shouldn't celebrate Christmas. Good news for you all, especially with uh, the decorations coming up at Washington Park. He's not saying we shouldn't celebrate Easter. Now, some churches, again, have done that type of thing. The pilgrims were actually a religious group rejecting the celebration of special religious days like Christmas, something, something some churches do still do. But Paul is saying, do not connect the observance of those particular days to your salvation. Do not connect the observance of those things to your standing with God. If you do, when you do that, you are worshiping a false God. So let's consider our context for a minute. Good Midwestern people, we love God. Many in our culture believe as long as we do attend church at Christmas and Easter, there is a way that our standing with God is secure. For others... There is a belief that as long as we attend church each week, again, that standing with God is secure. Still others, they look back at a moment, they they said something like a sinner's prayer. And as long as they engage that particular activity, there is a way their standing with God is secure. For for the very religious, maybe, maybe engaging practices like daily devotions, Uh, memorizing scripture weekly, uh, attending a small group regularly. They, They believe those practices make them secure in their standing with God. Paul is saying when you believe in engaging in regular practice of those types of religious activities keeps you in right standing with God or somehow makes you worthy of God's favor, You have bought into something that is a false form of worship. You are being enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. It is not Christianity. It is demonic in nature. So after describing the problem of ritualistic worship, Paul then proceeds to to describe the practice of ritualistic religion. If one form of ministry is rooted in the gospel and one form of ministry is rooted in false worship, we would expect those ministries to manifest themselves differently. The practice of ministry rooted in false worship or that is demonic in in nature should look a different way. So what are those differences? Let's continue reading in verse 12. This is a big section of scripture, so bear with me. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. So Paul is, is describing his interaction with the Galatians, his ministry to them and their ministry to him in return. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, 
you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, so he's talking about false teachers here, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you make much of them. It is always good to be much up, made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So, so Paul's describing his ministry, and again, to some extent, the, the ministry of the Galatians to him. And he's using those examples of ministry as, as ministry practice that's rooted in the gospel. In doing so, he's helping us understand how one form of ministry looks. So what is, what is the mark of the practice of gospel ministry? Well, if we had sufficient time, we could make a number of observations about the practice of gospel ministry in this passage. I I encourage you to do so in your gospel community gatherings this week. But for the sake of time, let's capture the primary characteristic with the phrase, surrender self. That is the primary characteristic we're observing in the ministry practice rooted in the gospel. Paul says in verse 12, I became like you. In doing so, he's expressing that he was willing to surrender things like personal preferences or perhaps cultural practices in order to enter into the lives of the Galatians. So someone who is not enslaved to religious performance, they're willing to sacrifice those types of things to minister to others. Let let me give you a a simple example. This will actually be a a sneak preview or uh, for those of you who may be attending our First City Foundations class in the fall or a reminder to those of you uh, that that have. One One of the things we teach at that First City Foundations class is that as a church, to effectively minister to others, we, we try to avoid using pious Christian language. Hey, if you don't know what I'm talking about, some, some Christians, they like to use big theological terms to communicate w- with one another. Words like sanctification and justification and covenant theology, Calvinism, eschatology, ecclesiology. I, I, I don't think they've come up with Google Translate yet for how some Christians talk. But that certainly would have been helpful during some conversations I've been in with Christians. Now, words carry meaning, and and it's important to use technical theological terms at times. But it's important to know many, many people in our culture, they're unfamiliar with those terms. So, So if we don't need to use those terms, we don't. Even if that's what we want to do, or even if that's how we normally talk, we surrender the preference of using particular language for the sake of those we are ministering to. Now, if we do need to use those words, we take time to explain them. And so rather than expect people to adapt to how we talk, we surrender preferences and inclinations to adapt to how people in our culture talk. Paul continues encouraging the Galatians in verse 12, and he says, Become like me. Now, at face value, this could seem a little presumptuous. It could seem arrogant. 
it, it could actually seem that Paul is not surrendering self at all. Become like me. But, but here's, what, here's what he's doing. Paul is challenging the Galatians to imitate him. He, he is so burdened for them to abandon ritualistic religion and to live in light of God's grace. He invites them to become like him. He says it th- this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. In this light, you, you can see how such an invitation, what the, the appeal Paul is making here is that he is actually surrendering self because it means he is opening up his life to them. He, he wants people to look in and see how he lives. Such an invitation, that requires a lot of transparency and a lot of vulnerability. Look into my life. Let me show you my life when we're, when we're not enslaved to performance, when we're not enslaved to agendas, when we're not enslaved to having control. This is how we practice ministry. We surrender self and we open up our lives in this manner. We invite people into our homes. We describe how we are struggling as Christians and they see how we live in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Examples of surrendering self continue throughout this passage. Paul, Paul describes how he's experiencing some sort of illness. Now, we don't, we don't know exactly what it is. Uh, many speculate it was an illness of an eye or both eyes. Others speculate that it was a, a physical ailment. We don't, we don't know. But whatever it is, what, what Paul does in this moment is he surrenders this hardship. And rather than wallow in self-pity or rather than think he needs to rest, he proclaims the gospel. He surrenders self. He encourages. He challenges. He exhorts. And then the Galatians respond. They they do not scorn or reject him. They even surrender their personal comfort and they welcome him in. When he he could have been seen as a burden. I mean, this man had some physical ailment. It was going to be costly to him. Rather than reject him or despise him, They received him as an angel of God. And Paul says they were so willing to surrender self, they would have gouged out their eyes for him. Whatever that means. And this is why many scholars believe Paul had something wrong with his eyes, but he could just be be emphasizing the amount of sacrifice they were willing to make. Paul is saying in their ministry practice, they were willing to surrender much. One, one last example of, of surrendering self in this passage. In, in verse 19, Paul, Paul says this, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So, so Paul is surrendering himself to the point that he is in anguish of childbirth. Many of you, you you know what this feels like. Not necessarily the actual pains of childbirth, but the pains that go along when you're discipling someone. Maybe you walked with them as they were converted to Christianity, or you walked with them early in their journey in Christianity, or you walked with them at some point, or maybe it's a child in your home that you've been discipling. But as they've gone along, they've come to a point where maybe they're abandoning the church 
Or they're abandoning the Christian faith altogether. Or maybe they're simply stagnant and they're, they're not growing and you see that they're dedicating, they're pointed in the direction of things other than Christ. As such, when that happens, it is painful. It causes you anguish. It, it hurts. It's even hard to sleep some nights. When you surrender self, when you disciple others, you are willing to do it to the point it causes you personal anguish. Surrendering for others, being burdened for others, this is what marks the practice of gospel ministry. So if, if surrendering self marks ministry rooted in the gospel, what marks the practice of ministry rooted in ritualistic religion? Paul contrasts the behavior of the Galatians previously when they welcomed him in with their current behavior. And he asked the question, what then has become of your blessedness? Their ministry is now marked by coldness and callousness. They are stiff and they are rigid. When demonic forces are at work in the ministry of a church, this is the type of behavior we encounter. What else? In verse 17, Paul describes the relationship between false teachers and the Galatian Christians. Both demonstrate how this dynamic of serving self plays out. This is, this is the type of behavior we see in ministry rooted in ritualistic religion, serving self. He says they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They compliment how you talk. They compliment how you teach. They compliment how you've grown. But it is not for the building up of the church or for your joy in Christ. It's about you. Paul goes on. They want to shut you out, meaning that they want to separate you from my ministry or they want, you, they want to pull you away from the church that you may make much of them. The false teachers are looking to get approval and affirmation and pats on the back for what and how they are teaching. So ministry rooted in performance will be marked by a burden to serve self. When we are enslaved, rather than surrendering self, the characteristic we predominantly encounter is serving self. So, so when demonic forces are at work in a church, when people are enslaved, they need to get. They need to get more. People are no longer free to surrender self. So people tend to pursue religion to get. To get things like security and affirmation. To get things like pats on the back. They look to others to tell them they're doing okay. They use others for encouragement and positive feedback and approval of their worth. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, this is how they interact with others. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. If you've been part of a church long enough, you know that people turn away from the church because they hear someone telling them something they want to hear. Oh, you don't like the worship music in that church. 
Oh, you've experienced some challenges in relationships in that church. Oh, you don't get to lead the way you want to lead. Oh, you don't like that, that teaching and the way they teach that particular doctrine. You should leave that church. And rather than remain committed, the person turns away because they've heard what their itching ears want to hear. When you tie your worth to performance, when you are enslaved, you look to others to affirm your perspective and to make you feel worthy. So I guess a question for us to wrestle with this morning. How might you be engaging the practice of ministry to serve self? Right? There are ways we engage in gospel community to serve self. There are ways we engage in Bible reading to serve self. There are ways we engage in the practice of confession to serve self. There are ways we engage in showing up here on Sunday morning to serve self. Let me, let me give you a quick example. All right? we, we, we talk about how it's important to, to be present for the call to worship when we begin our Sunday morning gathering. And so, so showing up on Sunday morning at, at 10 o'clock is, is a good thing. So some of us, we want to do that because we get a sense of security from doing the right thing. Right? We, we get, that's what we're after in getting here at 10 o'clock. Others of us, man, we feel good. We got the kids ready. We know everybody's going to look at us and say, you guys are amazing Christians when you get here at 10 o'clock. Right? So there is a sense of approval that we get from being present at 10. There is a sense of serving self in getting here at 10 a.m. Rather than during our call to worship, we are making much of the Lord. We are surrendering ourself. And that's, that's as we approach the call to worship in that manner, we're, we're surrendering ourselves in how we approach Sunday mornings. Recently in the workplace, I was introduced to a stand-up comedian named, his name's Michael Jr., okay? Thankfully, Michael Jr., before, before you know where I'm going, he's a clean stand-up comedian, okay? <laughs> In fact, he's, a, he's actually a professing Christian, so his stuff's really good. Well, one of the things he's known for, he, he gives this TED Talk, a short 20-minute uh, presentation. These the TED Talks are short 10 to 20-minute presentations packaged to produce motivation, to challenge character, to help people think differently about an issue. So in his TED Talk, he, he's sharing about his growth as a stand-up comedian, and how originally he pursued comedy to get laughs from people. He needed those laughs to feel good about himself. So what, what he's describing is being enslaved to getting those laughs. It, it consumed him. It led to pride when he got them. It led to insecurity and shame when he didn't. But then he experienced a transformation. So let me share his words. Uh, I'm in the comedy club, and I'm performing there. And right before I get on stage, I had this change in mindset about comedy. Most of the time when a comedian gets on stage, he wants to get laughs from people. And I felt a shift take place. Instead of going up there to get laughs from people, I felt like I was supposed to give them an opportunity to laugh. I did a little prayer, and I clearly felt I was supposed to give people 
an opportunity to laugh. You see, he saw what he had been given, the ability to make people laugh. He saw this as a gift. And so rather than seeking something for himself, rather than being enslaved to laughs, he sought to give. When someone is enslaved to ritualistic religion, he or she needs to serve self because he needs he or she needs to get. He or she needs to get security. He or she needs to get affirmation. He or she needs to get approval. My fear, too many of us, as we attend gospel community, or we attend on Sunday morning, we're looking to get. We're looking to get affirmation. And so we either interact in ways that seek affirmation, and we're, we're looking for others to give that affirmation, or we self-protect. We avoid interacting in ways that expose us as weak, that expose us as people in need, and that may deprive us of the affirmation of others. And when we do that, we've returned to the elementary principles of this world, and we are enslaved. Many of us are prone to exchange the gospel of grace to be enslaved in ritualistic religion. So what, what's the solution to ritualistic religion? How, how do we gain freedom? In verse 19, as Paul was describing how, was, how he was in the anguish of childbirth, he says the goal of his longing, part of the purpose of his letter, what he wants to have happen uses the phrase, until Christ is formed in you. He wants the Galatians to understand the gospel so that Christ is formed in them. He knows ritualistic religion will not do that. They need to understand the gospel. They need to understand God's grace on their behalf. The more they understand this, the more Christ is formed in them. Growing in Christianity is not about rules. It is about relationship with Christ. It's about understanding all you have been given in Christ. Back in verse 9, as Paul was helping the Galatians remember how they had been transformed, he said, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, so the, the but signified their conversion, them, them becoming, them placing faith in Christ, the transformation they experienced. But after saying, but now that you have come to know God, he clarifies. He uses the language, rather, to be known by God. What he's doing there is a, attacking any sense of self-righteousness that may be welling up in our soul. It's not that you have come to know God, come to understand and attain right status with God, but rather you have been known by him. His action in your life has set you free. It's his relationship with you. It's his action on your behalf that is the key to your liberation and transformation. So what is, what is the solution to ritualistic religion? Remembering the gospel of grace. Remembering 
It's not the religious rituals or the religious activities or the religious rules that make us right with God. It's, it's his pursuit of us in, in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's his work on our behalf. And how, how does this change or how does this form how we interact with religious practices? Think, think about one example for a moment. You're showing up in your attending gospel community. You are secure in your standing with God because you understand Christ's work on your behalf. You understand that you are a child of his. You understand there is nothing more you can do to earn his love or deserve his favor. When you're in that disposition, how does that form how you interact during a gospel community gathering? How how does that form your emotions and gratitude as you enter into reading God's word together? How does that form how you are burdened for others as they describe areas they are struggling? How does that free you to be real and honest about your own struggles rather than being self-protective and pulled back? We often do not recognize all God has done on our behalf. Paul's point, do not be enslaved to religious performance and ritualistic religion. It is not Christianity. It is a false form of worship. It is demonic in nature. So remember, friends, when we're feeling enslaved to performance, when we're looking to religious performance to justify ourselves before others or before God, remember the good news of the gospel. It's not about you. God has done great work for us. And so may we trust in that. May we know that it is sufficient. There is nothing more we can do. May we receive that and may we live and walk out that reality.